This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Hello, Queeros. Cameron here. Today's episode is a chat with Vivek Shreya. An artist and poet and musician that I first became aware of through This Just Out with Liz Feldman, which some of you may know is a web show that uh, Liz has been making for years that kind of digs into the into queer folks and Liz does a ton of interviews, people from The L Word, Tegan and Sarah. Anyway, you should watch it on YouTube. But also, Vivek is a, a friend of... The Quinn sisters and recently put out a cover on the Con 10 or the Con X on this episode. We <laughs> debated whether or not you're supposed to say the Roman numeral or say the number that it stands for. And her voice is just beautiful. So I would really recommend checking out Vivek's music. And finally, before we get to the show, my final stand-up shows of the year. Well, first, let me say, every Tuesday night, Rhea Butcher and I perform here in Los Angeles at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater that is on Franklin for our show, Put Your Hands Together, which you can also listen to as a podcast. So if you can't make it to L.A., Put Your Hands Together is a podcast also distributed by Feral Audio. You can get it everywhere podcasts are available. So check that out. And if you happen to be in Denver this week, the 16th to the 18th, I will be at Comedy Works in Denver, the one in Larimer Square. These are my last shows for the year, and I would love to see you there. So thank you. Enjoy this episode. And something I'm going to ask from everyone this week is uh, you guys... You pals, I'm replacing guys, you pals have all been uh, tweeting at me awesome suggestions. Thank you. I have been reading them. It's been super helpful for future guests. Another thing I would say is that I feel like this show could grow by reaching folks outside of the queer community. So I love that queer folks are listening. Do not leave. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm not centering straightness. What I'm saying is that I love these conversations because they are in group. And I do think that it's a perfect opportunity for somebody that needs to learn what's really going on in our community to uh, pop in and do some like eavesdropping. So if you have friends, family that are straight, if you post on social media, I would also ask you to recommend the show to straight folks because our community should be represented to the larger community as well. Anyway, enjoy the app. Hello. I am excited to be doing this episode because, well, first of all, I want to say this is another one of these. I'm doing it via phone. And so I want to ask for your support in the fact that this is brand new and I'm trying to figure this out. So listeners, please be patient and kind. Uh, 
It is easier to look in a person's eyeballs and talk to them, um, but it is very, but it's not always possible. And I didn't want us to be just restrict, uh, restricted to Los Angeles. And that is a perfect segue into this today's guest. Um, you know, this is somebody I met kind of casually um, at like a mutual friend's house um, and then was just really like immediately taken with uh, their presence and just like the things that this person was talking about and knew I wanted to have them on query. And so now I get to. And so, uh, guest, would you introduce yourself? That's something we do on the show. I always have the guest introduce themselves. Hi, it's Vivek, <laughs> all the way from Toronto. <laughs> uh, Vivek, can you tell us, like, your full name and some stuff about Oh, right, you? yeah. I have a last name. <laughs> sure. Um, my name is Vivek Shreya, and I am an artist and writer and musician and... Imposter, all those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I mean, I don't feel, look, number one, you're definitely not a, an imposter because you you know this because I sent you the photograph via the internet, but you may not it's remember. True. I was true. in like Texas. I can't even remember some small bookstore in like, I think Houston and came across a book of your poetry. So like, you're definitely not an imposter because it's. Already in, in a small Houston, small bookstore in Houston. <laughs> the sacred home, like, you know, birth town of Beyonce. Like, I've officially made it. <laughs> yeah, so I bought it immediately and bragged to the oh, bookseller. So nice. Like, I kind of know this person, so, like... <laughs> <laughs> we were on the same couch together? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you also have a beautiful cover um, on Tegan and Sarah's new uh, The Con 10 album. Oh, is that how we're saying it? I keep saying it wrong. I keep saying The Con X. The Con 10 makes sense, no, actually. I think like he, that's how... I, I can't tell which one is right. I should ask them. I haven't asked them which one is. I, I've i been just, you know, bragging that I know what Roman numerals correspond to which numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but it might be the Con X. And actually, like, is that a cover? Is that a Tegan and Sarah song? I, like, didn't... I was not familiar with that song. It's my own song. No, I'm joking. Um, it's a B-side. <laughs> so there's two B-sides. Well, actually, three B-sides from the Con, and two were released previously. Um, so, I mean, you're obviously not a real Tegan and Sarah fan, because if you were, you would be familiar with the B-sides. Yeah, I mean, um. call me out, like really call me out, because I've been to a bunch of their shows, and like I'm walking around in there like I know my shit, and I have to be more honest. Yeah, yeah so um, they gave me the opportunity to, to to cover one of their B-sides, which is not one of the more known songs off the track, unless you're a true Tegan and Sarah fan, and then, and, then, and then you would know it. And like morally a good person, right? There's kind yeah, of a dividing exactly. line between like good or bad people based on whether or not exactly. you know that it's a cover. So I've proven myself to be garbage. Um, your 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 voice is so beautiful on that track. I know I sent you a message about that on Twitter, but it's gorgeous. I listened to it a lot when I was just traveling because sometimes it really is nice to like um, listen to music that slows you down a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, what... well, thanks for saying that. That's really nice. Like, as you can imagine, because 
were friends, I felt a lot of sort of like anxiety about <laughs> up their song. And but like my whole approach to covers is always like, what is a different direction that I could take the song in, as opposed to you know just doing something similar to the original. So it was you know I feel like that song. I don't know if you, you well you as we've established you haven't heard. I'm the a terrible I'm person. Yes. That up. Yes. Yes. Exactly. We've established it, but um, the original version it's got like these like layers and layers of keyboard and. I I think for me, when I started really paying attention to the lyrics, I started thinking about how there's this real emotionality to the song that almost gets um, lost in in the in the keyboards in a cool way. Like I, that you know that that that's the treatment, that's the song. But I was like, is there a way that we could just focus more on on the words that are are being said? And so that's sort of the direction that I, I took. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that you like it. I'm happy they like it. I'm happy that um, the fans seem to like it. And yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about, okay, so this is a good jumping off point, I think, into good. Um, like some more about you. So you live in Toronto now, but I don't know. Where are you from? I am from a city called Edmonton, um, in a state. Alberta. In America. Alberta, yes. Yeah, exactly. I know. I always say when I'm talking to Americans that it's like the Texas of Canada. Um, So Edmonton would be like Dallas, maybe. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. Um, That's where I grew up, but I moved to Toronto actually in 2003. This was like before MySpace. RIP. Oh, maybe it's still around, actually. And uh, if you know, if you wanted to create a career in music in Canada, kind of like you know how you go to LA or New York in Canada, it was like you go to, to you go to Toronto. So I moved to Toronto from Edmonton to uh, pursue the old music career. And how? When did you start making music to begin with? Um. Well, I have been singing most of my life, which is a cliche answer, but very true. Um, and I grew up in a religious organization and that's sort of where I developed my love for music and even started writing my own songs. Um, and like they were like, I guess more devotional songs, but that's sort of where I, I started like, yeah, songwriting essentially. And then from there I started, um, doing talent competitions in malls. Edmonton is actually known for having, I think, the second biggest mall in the world called West Edmonton Mall. And um, in the food court, if you can imagine, so this is like before American Idol, which we also had Canadian Idol, I would, yeah, do talent competitions in, in these mall food courts while people were getting their New York fries or um, their Sparrow pizza. Um, I don't know why that feels like a big jump for me from like a religious organization to <laughs> directly in malls, but that seems like a very different uh, gig, like a different gig. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing about the religious um, atmosphere is like, I think that it just really built my confidence um, because it was like, I mean it was one of the only safe spaces I had as a kid. Like one of the things I talk a lot about is how, you know, I think for a lot of queer people and gender nonconforming people, like religion tends to be the place where um, we are ostracized or our identities are dismissed. 
And for me, that wasn't my narrative. Um, and I think it's largely because Hindu masculinity and Ind- Indian masculinity is very different than North American masculinity. So, like, you know, the gods have long hair and they're very pretty and, um, ha- you know, sing and play flute and all their friends are women. Like, these are, in a lot of ways, Hindu gods, male gods were kind of like my first um, male role models and my first queer role models, queer role models in the absence of queer role models in Edmonton. And so um, my religious space really was a space where I got to flourish um, outside of school where I was being treated like I was abnormal. And simultaneously um, in school, I was learning a lot about pop music. And so I think um, it was this development of music at the religious organization and then starting to explore pop music um, that made me excited about using my own voice in both contexts, in a religious context, but then also using it to sing TLC Waterfalls in a mall. I mean, I'm shaking my head because this makes so much sense and it's so beautiful and I'm so happy for you that that was your experience with faith. It was not my oh, experience you. being raised in uh, the Catholic faith. And I... Fair. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that what you're saying is... I mean, I'm like so glad to hear that. I know this sounds... This probably this is gonna sound weird. I've never heard that story before. What what your story is and your experience? Yeah, I mean, and it's so real, right? Like, actually, the book that you're talking about, God Loves Hair, the one that you saw in Texas. Like, I remember when I put that out, there was a, there's like a really big gay bookstore here in Vancouver called Little Sisters, and they almost refused to stock the book because the word God was in the title, right? Like, I think that queer people have a very complicated relationship to religion, but I think for me, it's been important to talk about how that's not necessarily the only narrative that like, I think that there are ways that queerness and faith can actually coexist. Um, I mean, I would describe myself as an atheist now, but that actually most people assume it's because of um, my queerness, but actually it has nothing to do with my queerness. Like I, I really feel like, um, yeah, my, my faith was one of the only places that actually allowed me to be fully me. I mean, I think also part of the reason that that dominates our narrative, this like gulf between spirituality, faith and like re- organized religion and what queerness is in the queer community is because Western countries like totally. the U.S. And, and Canada are so dominated by a Christian narrative. And, totally, totally. Um, you know, so there's also a lot of people are operating from the same access point. Which then, exactly. like, create you know creates this overabundance of that narrative and that story. Um, but of exactly. course, like, exactly. I mean, I I think this is also true um, for like different indigenous yeah, faiths totally. in the U.S. I remember when I was in college, I learned a little bit about you know like the relationship between, um, like, for instance, gender and sex. Um, have other options in, yeah, like the Navajo tradition. Um, okay, and and I know that's also true in like Hawaii, where there's like a third, where there's like a third gender already totally. sort of um, totally. allowed and like not allowed, but like taught, taught, accepted, um, to kids. And anyway, I just think that would have. That would have been a really interesting... <laughs> that might have changed my life significantly. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because so much of our legislation, like, so not even just our ideas and beliefs around 
sexuality, but also, yeah, laws have been, you know, framed by colonization. Like, I mean, India is a really great example of a country where queerness wasn't illegal until the British came in. Um, and that's when it was made um, illegal, right? So, uh, but that's just one example. Like, I think a lot, a lot of places are, have been, a, a lot of places, their ideas around queerness have been shaped by, by colonization. Yes, we have to try to trace the paths of this thought that seems so pervasive, like whenever, you know, because totally. essentially what, you're, what we're both saying is like, no, it's like one guy, you know, <laughs> it's like one guy <laughs> in England who like played a game of telephone that like expanded across the world. Right. You know, I mean, um, and it turns out that person probably wasn't even the same race as like, oh, I don't know, Jesus, who also is kind of important in the Bible. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit more, Vivek, about so your identity, and if you and if you would sure. share with me like kind of words that you use to describe yourself, um, and maybe your pronouns. Sure. Yeah. So I use she/her pronouns. My favorite identity is artist. Amazing. For <laughs> asking the the identity question, I, I know what we're asking. So I mean, I would identify as trans. Um, as queer, as bisexual, um, yeah, those are some of the words that I, oh, as uh, POC or person of color or brown, um, those would be some of the words that I use to um, describe myself. Yeah, and I love that there's a list, you know? I think, <laughs> like, because I have a list, um, and I think... Read that- your list. Oh, yeah. Um, Not right. Tegan and Sarah fan. <laughs> Don't give a shit about Tegan and Sarah. That's like number one. Um, no. <laughs> uh, I mean, so for me, I actually use queer, gay, and lesbian interchangeably. Like, that works for me. Yeah, of course. Um, of course, yeah. But some people really don't. I do. And no. I also identify, like, gender-wise. I mean, I think, I think that I don't have, like, the right sort of words for it because I think it's many words. I think that's kind of why I was responding to your list is like it's many words um, because I, I do really feel like a woman and I think part of that is that the career that I've chosen and the faith that I grew up in are both um, tend to other women, you know, like the Catholic Church is not right. super right. great on <laughs> uh, including women. And, Shocking. Yeah. And, the, and neither and neither has comedy always been. And so when, right. you know, I came right. up with that identifier and the pushback, you know, really like solidified it for me, you know, because I don't of feel course. like some stereotype of a woman. I just feel like a woman sort of almost in response to toxic masculinity. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, but I also... A friend of mine with... Sorry, oh, no, go go, no, you go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I also like the people that I look to that I feel like I look the most like, and I don't even mean like fate, I just mean like aura, I think, or, you know, I don't know, David Bowie. That's who it always is. That's when I saw that mm. person. When I saw that person, I lost my mind because I was like, oh, it's like cheekbones and makeup <laughs> and short hair <laughs> and pants. So I could get into, I can get into all those things. <laughs> well, what, were, right. what were you going to say about your friend? No, that makes a lot of sense. There's a friend of mine um, who I have lots of conversations about gender with, um, 
who, you know, might identify as non-binary, but, you know, she talks about how she refuses to give up the title of woman because she sees it as sort of, like, act of resistance or as, like, sort of, like, a feminist statement. And so she, you know, she feels very strongly about, like, holding that title, um, even though woman is complicated for her and that, like, gender is complicated. So, I mean, that I, I don't know if that sounds vaguely like what you were trying to articulate, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. It reminded me of. I mean, so many of these, it's like, it's a biological term and a political term, you know? And that's true for, totally, that's totally. True for so many. Um, and it's a social construct. Like, all of these things have so many different, um, like, you know, whatever it is, categories that you can, that, that you can apply them to. So it's, sometimes mm-hmm. I think that's why we're like all kind of in the mix, man. We're just trying to like figure it all out. Right. Just like figure out what works. Um, But also, I just I think I know this about you from like a casual conversation with Rhea. And so, like, forgive me from knowing this because you had a a conversation with Rhea that like really inspired Rhea and um, Rhea told me all about it. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. And I think it was about when you decided to ask for she pronouns and. Because I, I, I don't think that you've used them your whole life. Is that true? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, yeah. It's fairly new. So, I mean, well, it's going to be two years in February. So I came out as trans using she and her pronouns on my 35th birthday last February. Happy birthday. That's Thank you. That's belated. amazing. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that sounds like a great birthday. But what a gift to myself, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's a huge happy birthday. What was the... What made... What made that moment happen for you? Oh, gosh. I mean, I I mean, it's so interesting because I think one of the, like, the questions, and you probably get asked this a lot, and I mean, certainly I've had this question asked so many times around sexuality, like, when did you know you were queer? And I think similarly, you know, now the question is, like, when did you know you were trans? And, like, I think for me it's, like, uh, that there there's no aha moment like i feel like i have known in moments and those moments have been taken from me you know periodically so i mean like i think i expressed a gender like a non a gender creative uh i you know i sorry i expressed a gender creativity as a child and i think that um you know anytime i did it was constantly um for the most part um restrained or um, met with some sort of harassment and so uh, you know it's hard when every time you have a moment of knowledge when that's always met with some form of harm to to be like yes that was the aha moment because it's like (laughs) was it a moment it happened so fast i don't even remember (laughs) um but i think certainly turning 30 actually was a huge um maybe cliche a moment for me because I, that thing that everyone, you know, tried to encourage me about when I was having my midlife 30 crisis <laughs> was that I wasn't going to care what people thought, um, ended up being very true and, um, but beyond ways that I could have imagined. And so like, you know, it's, uh, it started very innocuously in terms of like, I'm going to wear leggings and I'm going to wear nail polish and, you know, I'm going to wear a bindi and like all these sort of like quote unquote feminine gestures I started reclaiming in my 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 30s um and it was more just 
um, an act of like not caring. But as the puzzle pieces started being put together, it sort of created a new picture of myself. And I actually remember speaking of pictures, um, you know, one of the reasons why I'm such a like advocate for selfies is because I really think it's been through like photo that I have found myself and I remember seeing a photo of myself that um, someone else had taken actually and feeling really emotional because it felt like the first time I was actually seeing who um, I was um, as opposed to a photo of someone trying to be something else and so I think around that time um, I also was touring with Everyone is Gay. So it's such a long answer. I'm going to wrap this up really fast here. I am here for as long question. as this goes. <laughs> truly, truly. Um, I was touring with Everyone is Gay at the time, and um, they were so lovely, both Danielle and Kristen. Um, and, you know, we had many conversations about gender and, like, the ways that I felt like I felt nervous about claiming anything. I was like, is it okay for me to claim, like, genderqueer? Is it okay for me to claim trans? Like, you know, like, there there just seemed like, a, I think that with these identities that we've talked about, there's also this, like, whole layer of accountability. And I just had a lot of feeling of, like, not deserving. Um, and I think Kristen, especially around pronouns, was like, I think what you can do is just explore it with your friends first and see how it feels. Because the other thing, sorry, I said this was going to be a short answer, but it's very long, but I think one of the things I found really, really hard about pronouns is that if you Google online, how did you know what pronouns to choose? The narrative is always like, I always knew, right? Like the, the narrative around transness for the most part is like, I've always known. Um, there's never a narrative that really says, I wasn't really sure you know, like I, or at least I didn't really encounter a narrative of uncertainty. And I think this is for like, this is rooted in like, you know, all kinds of transphobic history, especially like um, connected to the medical system where like trans people have had to, you know, demonstrate certainty to have access to, to surgery and hormones. So I think that like for trans people to display any kind of quote unquote uncertainty, then our genders continue to be read as experimentation. But for me, I was like, how do I know? Like, <laughs> what if I tell everyone I'm she and her? And then I'm like, oops. Um, and so Kristen gave me this wonderful piece of advice. It was like, just try with your friends. And so for six months, I tried it with my friends. And honestly, you know, it was awkward, like with the adjustment, but there were moments that felt like someone, the way I described it was like, it felt like someone was putting their hand inside of me and like sort of caressing the most tender part of me. And I think after, like, after experiencing that a couple times, I was like, I think I want to, I want to come out publicly, especially because, you know, having a somewhat public um, art career, like, the questions started happening already, like, what pronouns do you use, what pronouns do you use, and it felt very strange to be like, he and him, and so, yeah, on my 35th birthday, I had written a song called Girl, It's Your Time, and I thought it would be a wonderful way to sort of uh, make the announcement and I went from there. Sorry, I'm so sorry. That was so long. I hope some of that was interesting or usable. <laughs> Number one, the whole thing will be included because it was a beautiful story. Um, and number okay. two, I I mean, I want to I want to go through and talk about some of that in further yeah, detail, sure, sure, starting with the fact that Kristen Russo is an amazing person. <laughs> I also am yeah. oh very lucky oh to God. consider a friend. Um, and 
Um, I'm so glad that you got that advice and that that worked for you. Yeah. And then I also wanted to go back, you know, to the very beginning of what you were talking about and sort of because you're right, you know, that idea of like, when did you know and how did you come out? um, You know, I feel like that is a question I've gotten. I'm sure. You know, over and over again and all the time. And one thing that one thing that I liked about, you know, that I was so interested in what you just said and what I'm trying to do with query is. For me, I feel like that narrative, that story, coming out stories, have been the stories of the queer community. Like, that's what we've known. Of course. course. And um, it's, like, centered as the biggest moment in all of our lives. And then we Uh really don't, like, follow up with any of those characters. You know, just to use, like, television and film, for example. It's like like those characters, like... You're working towards coming out, and then that's it. Um, or someone dies. Like, that's the other option. Yep. <laughs> um, and also, coming out, I have found, is, like, so centered on what pushback you got. So, it's like, um, how did people take it, is the follow-up question. And it's mm-hmm. not really kind of, I think, ever about, like, how did that freedom feel? Um, when you told people who you were and how did it, you know, so I, what I was trying to ask, and I might not have even like said this the right way, but what was like, what got you to the place where that was what you wanted to do? And you answered that question anyway, even though I might not have asked it that way, Um, which is great because that's what I did want. Um, and I feel like, oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, to be clear, like, I wasn't uh, criticizing your question. I was just saying that, like, um, yeah, like, anyways, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a critique of your question. Oh, no, I, I know, but, like, I'm just saying, you and I, um, I feel like we're going to be part of this generation that maybe gets past that, you know? Even just talking to each other, you know, we don't have the same experiences all, but we both have had to, like you know, tell a big thing to a big, to a big group of people. Um, and I think that it's so great to have that bond. And I would also never take that away. Like my, my coming out was painful and awesome and exciting. And I got to fight for myself, um, more than society. And like, that felt awesome. Everybody should get a chance to do that. Um, but, but like, I think that, the other exciting things is to like get beyond the moment and talk about like I love you talking about writing that song and then you talking about it being related to a midlife crisis and I, I just think these are <laughs> you know or whatever your 30 life crisis or whatever I feel like these are all um, it being framed as a moment as opposed to it being framed as like your whole life is about negotiating what you're going to do next. Like, that seems more more real to me, is that your whole life is making choices. Yeah, and I think for me, like, I think, you know, also coming out as bi, like, in my life, like, I think one of the lovely things about bisexuality for me has been it's allowed me not to, like, denounce all, like, for me, my coming out seems to suggest that like you're in this dark place and then you see the light and then you're free. And I think that that can be true. And I, I think that's a true narrative for a lot of people. But I think for me, like coming out has always felt more complicated in that. Like, you know, I kissed a girl and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I kissed a boy and I liked it too, you know? And so 
the sort of like aha moment that lots of queer people have, I didn't really ever have, you know, like I didn't ever feel more at peace with a boy than I did with a girl and vice versa, even when I, when I was identifying as male. And so I think for me, this idea of coming out has always felt, um, inaccurate because, um, while yes, I think there've been parts of myself that I've had to learn to compartmentalize and that feels painful. I think, also, I really see every new chapter in my life as a new growth and a new, like, yeah, a new perspective. And that's also really exciting. And I don't, I, the, the coming out to me suggests that everything else that happened was wrong or everything else in that dark closet was inaccurate or was a lie or was a sham. And like, you know, as much as it was painful in some ways to, work really hard to be a man and perform masculinity, I actually grew to like some things about performing masculinity. And I think that's a, like a dangerous thing for a trans person to articulate because again, it's all about certainty, right? Like, and, and, and I think, you know, obviously gender and sexuality are different, but I think this is the same narrative that happens with sexuality. It's like you have, you know, a woman who used to be with men and as soon as she dates women, she's like, Oh, that was all a lie. And maybe that's true, but I'm like, can both things be true? Like, could you maybe have have attraction to those men and now also have attraction to women? Like, and again, I don't want to take away from anyone's experience. Like, I think that if that was your experience, then that's great. But I also think that there is this pressure, especially in the language of coming out, to sort of denounce anything that came before this, like, moment. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I wanted to say that I think that <laughs> listeners are going to laugh at us because we are both super we're no no we're like both trying i can tell that you are motivated by kindness and i am somebody who's motivated by kindness so back and forth we're like i love you i affirm you like we're just like we're like no i was too rude you were not rude i was like we're like we're like so affirming each other and i love it it's making me so happy um so there's that which is great and then you know what is i actually had the experience that you're talking about where like it did feel really wrong to me and I didn't know what would felt so wrong when I was with, um, you know, when I was with dudes, like it was awful. Right. And then I was with women. That right. was amazing. It was a night and day right. black and white situation. And what right. I, what I also believe is true is that like, everything is on a spectrum and everything is personal and every totally. story is unique. And so totally. I think you're totally right that the narrative, like that the thing that I felt is much more um, what has dominated culture. I also think the, the, you know, the reason for that is also that like, I mean, I do feel like somebody who was born this way, <laughs> like a lady, like a, la a little Lady Gaga baby. Um <laughs> But we have also had to affirm that because, like, you know, I used to be essentially, like, an illegal person. Like, my, you of know... Course, and course. so saying, like, I've always been this way, I can't change, like, that is one way of protecting ourselves because then if somebody else comes at you and they're trying to harm you and you're like, look, I can't be a different way and I've never totally. had this type of attraction, there is, like, a safety in that. And I think sometimes, you know, like... We have to remember, I mean, I guess it's like we were talking about earlier with like, uh, you know, tr tracing colonization. Like, I think we have to also trace um, this, the parts of the queer story that are about like 
literally survival. Um, and so it's very hard to no. get a law changed when you're like, I mean, I'm on a spectrum. Like when, when you know, that person in a court of law is is like a more nuanced person than like law wants to account for. Um, but what sure. we can do for each other as a community is support the nuance. Like I think that, well, that that's really important. And I guess that's my struggle is like, I totally understand that that actually makes so much sense to me. And I get that, like being able to say like, well, I'm born this way. Like, like what, like, you know, it's, it's obviously a strong, strong defense as opposed to like ambiguity. But in my experience, queer community then does impose that on each other. So in my experience, it it hasn't been like, well, we're going to use this one strong defense you know, to get us some rights. And then, you know, within community, though, we are going to respect the nuance of each other's individual experience. That has never been my experience. My experience has been like, we're going to fight for this very (laughs) specific thing. And then we're going to impose that on everybody. So, you know, again, with bisexuality, it was like, repeatedly, I was told, I I feel like I encountered way more biphobia within the community because people are like, no, you're confused. Yes. No, you're in the closet, right? And to me, that, I think, has always been the most heartbreaking experience is the ways in which, and it's not just queer community, you know, it's trans community, it's POC community, but I think that they're, we inevitably, like, police each other, and maybe that's, like, that's the nature of, you know, a heterosexist culture is that inevitably we we end up yeah, we end up policing each other's desires and genders and whatnot, but that that's always felt like the hardest thing to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I also think some of that might be about, like, so you find this community and it feels right to you, and so then you're like, this is, like, a finite thing. Like, I've arrived, and I think part of what you're talking about is, like, some queer people having an inability to um, continue to evolve. And that is going to be that is going to have to change because, for instance, here is something that in my life I am, you know, working to um, understand. So, like I said, I felt when I dated um, cis straight dudes that like there was something off about the for me, there was like a. A pleasing them sure, and a sure, lack sure. of honesty on my <laughs> yep. part that like right. really um, put me in some terrible positions. When I started dating women, um, I felt an enormous amount like this huge burden lifted. And also the my community has changed enormously the last like you know 15 years or whatever since i came out so first so first of all i will say like even though i didn't feel great dating dudes i think that like cis straight men are beautiful there's like dudes i have crushes on all the time there's like comics that make me have like a weird voice i don't even know where my why my voice just got that high or whatever's happening (laughs) you know like and that's 100 percent real and then within our community i mean i don't see my own gender as like finite and expressible so there are certainly people who i also 
view that way. I mean, my wife is my wife identifies as non-binary. So like, what does that mean for me saying like, I am like full stop gay. Meanwhile, right. like I'm with this person. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And also, I mean, then there are, I mean, what does that say about folks that I am attracted to that are trans women or trans men? Like, what does that say about the spectrum of people that I'm attracted to? And I think that the answer is like, we don't have to come to some end place where we just go like, I'm only into this thing and this thing all the time. Like I said, I mean, it really is a spectrum. If I'm like super duper gay, like what the fuck does that even mean? I don't know. Well, and I guess that's the thing about queerness that to me has always been the gift, right? Like, and that's why it's always like the sort of like, you you're either this or that whether it's like gay or straight or whatever it is like that's always been the thing that's like not only disappointed me but also like hurt me but also surprised me because i'm like but like the gift of queerness is exactly what you're talking about the gift of queerness is is being someone who allows themselves to acknowledge desire and attraction for a range of different humans. And again, I don't want to like take away from anyone else's queer experience. And if for someone else, if you're gay and you just like the same, you know, same sex, like that's great. And like, I celebrate you, but like, please, please celebrate me too. Then, you know, because that's what I think is lovely about queerness. I'm like, Yes. Tell me more. Tell me, like, let's, let's, let's be attracted to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also, I mean, you know, the thing that you're talking about this, I think it's also just, I mean, like getting to a slightly different place um, with how you, you know, read yourself and read other people. So let's say, like, you are a full stop lesbian or whatever we're talking about right now. Full stop lesbian, lesbian, right? Um, (laughs) I, you know, for me personally, I will say not every person that I have dated has occupied the same place in the gender spectrum. Like, I don't, you know, it's not like I've, like, only dated exactly. people exactly. with a certain exactly. length hair who wore a certain type of shoes. So if that's exactly. true, if I can be into, um, you know, what I'm into and that can have a range, then it's just applying that in a lot of other ways. Exactly. And exactly. I think that it would be very you'd be very hard pressed to find somebody who's like, oh no, I'm like, I'm like into people that only look facially identical, <laughs> and also uh-huh. wear the same size pants. You know, like I just feel like that's not really how we date and how we love, and it's also not like who we're attracted to as friends. You know, if tra- if attraction also means a lot of different things, and and um, you know, if like sexual attraction is also a spectrum, right? And some people were like. I'm pulled toward this person. And I just want to make art with them. And then some people we want to marry. I mean, this is all very, um, you're right. Yeah. That's just saying you're right. Like it's that's fun to have this word. conversation. It's fun to, <laughs> it's fun to talk about it. We can have, we can have this and we can have this and we can still, I can still, if I want to, I can still use the word lesbian if I want to. Like I could have all of these feelings and I can still use this word if I want to. Isn't that lovely? It is lovely, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the best? Yeah.
Hello, Queeros. It's Cameron, and I am going to talk to you about one of today's query sponsors. It is Casper Mattress. Oh my gosh, Casper Mattress. Casper Mattress is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize eh? its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. I have to tell you, I actually sleep at a, on a Casper mattress that I was uh, given to try out by Farrell. Uh, and you know what? I really like it. Rhea also sleeps on it. Our dog Murph sleeps on it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you would love it yourself. Here's the great news. The Casper mattress comes to your house. What? And you can take a 100-night risk-free sleep trial that means you could sleep on it for a third of a year and then after that if you don't like it you can send it back but also did i mention that it will be delivered to your door in a box what you can get free shipping and returns in the u.s and canada i'm gonna tell you um you should just do this for yourself it is not that expensive. And do you know why that is? Because Casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to the consumer. I swear, this is worth it. Your body and your sleep is worth it. So, friends, if you would like to get a Casper mattress, may I say that you could have $50 toward the purchase of a mattress by using casper.com slash query? That's right. And then you use the code query at checkout. Friends, what I'm saying is, you can get a Casper mattress and $50 off if you use casper.com slash query and the code query at checkout. Please, do this. It is important. You will like it. Ugh, well, I mean, clearly this is going really well and we've solved it. All, like all the <laughs> all things, <laughs> all of the issues. So I want to talk a little bit more about um, your work because I love the nuance of what you're talking about. And then here you are, like with this job that's in a public sphere, and you and I, you know, have a lot to relate to on that because, like, I'm all about nuance, and then you have to be in public. And like, it turns out Twitter, for instance, like. 140 characters now 280 characters like that's not like nuance you know you have to no um be out in the world with like a whatever like a front-facing brand for lack of a less disgusting word so what is that like being the person that you are with all of these like highly evolved thoughts <laughs> and um and then trying to talk trying to communicate with people about what you mean i mean I mean, truly, I I feel like my brand hopefully is nuanced. Like, yeah. um, you know, that's one of the things I love about art. Like, you know, I don't really see myself as a public speaker. I see myself as an artist because a public speaker, it's like, okay, come talk to us about this specific topic, which I mean, like I do those things, but I really like the way that art communicates nuance, you know, like, and in unexpected ways, right? Like I book a, I wrote a book of poetry last year called even this page is white, which is a very, you know, aggressive title, but so much of that book is actually about me unpacking my own, like, connections to white supremacy. What does it mean for me as, like, a brown feminine person to be dating a white man? What does it mean for 
me as a brown, like, you know, person writing a book about racism while being a settler on stolen land. What's the connection between me and, you know, anti-black racism in my community? So, like, I, I really feel like my job as an artist is to challenge, you know, dominant narrative, dominant narratives, whether that means, like, writing a book called God Loves Hair that's, like, about the intersection of queerness and faith, you know, or, you know, um, making an album called Part-Time Woman that's, like, really about challenging this idea of, like, who gets to be called a woman and why? What 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 do you need to do to qualify as a woman and who decides that? So, you know, I think that it means that I use the internet um, strategically. Like, I think the internet isn't always a place for nuance, but that's not, I mean, as much as being on the internet is part of our jobs, um, it's ultimately not where, uh, it's not my wheelhouse in terms of, like, uh, that's not where the work happens for me. Like the real work happens in the art. And, and I think art does create a lot of room for nuance, which is why I love it so much. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> the interesting thing about doing comedy right now is like, <laughs> it works so well still as a live art. Um, because sure. I feel like, so the kind of the whole point of stand up is like you have to have one opinion about a topic. You can't really right. be malleable. You have to be like this yeah. is my opinion on this and then you have to uh -huh. try to convey that, you know, using like the supporting facts, right? Like it's essentially writing mm -hmm. a, a an F, an essay for yeah. yeah, you know. And so um you get up on stage and or I get up on stage and I'm like say this joke and there's all these supporting details that work and very rarely do I find myself in a situation where like somebody that doesn't get what I'm saying because I think like it works so well as a live medium um right, but then the right. difference between that and like some tweet um, it's like it's just like a huge, it's a fucking vast, <laughs> vast, vast difference um, because yeah. we're not like sharing molecules, you know. We're not um, like occupying the same space, and you can't see what my face no, looks like while I'm saying the thing. And I, I just have found that to be particularly challenging in the last couple of years um, because of you're like trying to navigate this, um, like sensitivity minefield and it's okay actually that people are sensitive but it's very hard to be sensitive through a computer screen it's like it's like okay yeah. to ask for sensitivity and it's hard to give it you know yeah. do you know what i'm saying it's much yeah, no, easier I'm, to give sensitivity face to face really hard to give it through like a cold yep. screen Yep, and that's why, like, I mean, like, I don't use Facebook anymore. Like, if I use Facebook, it's solely to promote stuff. I won't put right. up a Facebook status because, like, any time I do, like, uh, you know, the thing about Twitter, at least, is, like, I'm not responsible to answer to everybody, whereas, like, who, who responds, to, responds to a tweet, whereas on Facebook, you say something and people comment. There is sort of, like, this pressure for you to respond, especially if someone says something fucked up. And then, like, suddenly it becomes, like, high school where, like, different people are, like, right. different comments. Like, I'm like, right. no, I'm going to remove myself from this narrative. Thank you very much. Um, you know, so it's not a medium that I find effective for conversation. And, you know, Twitter, I just, like, I mean, I have a lot of opinions. And, like, I definitely use it to uh, talk about my opinions. And that's definitely, like, gotten me into heated arguments. But, like, 
at the same time, like I increasingly use it sparingly because again, I'm not convinced that like minds are dramatically altered through the medium, you know? <laughs> you don't um, say. So, you know what though? I mean, yeah, like, it's but, funny because I don't know that, I don't know that the like back and forth fights change minds because like I, I have seen the result of that myself. Like if somebody, you know, sure. has been a, has like some bone to pick and then we go back and forth like that person's not changing but one thing i have found is that like um i'm getting better information than i used to have because the democratization of twitter and like being able to choose who you get information from has allowed me to use it as like a source to kind of go around like the um preponderance of straight white cis talking heads you know like i still get that because that's it turns out that's on television like that's what television is uh but it's it's great to have from like i I like it as a resource to like just figure out what else is going on in the world yeah no i mean listen i'm not like denouncing the medium it's more just as a conversation mode like i think you're right like of course like i have uh, like the access to information that I get, it has been has been you know mind altering. It's more just like yeah, this sort of engaging in, in yeah. the back and forth that I find seldom effective. And right, yeah, I have really in my 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 thirties have really reclaimed the phone as like a talking <laughs> device. <laughs> oh my god, good job! <laughs> that's a, that's very hard yeah, to do. I'm proud of you. <laughs> it, it, but it's like everything. Like anytime yeah. I feel any sort of like tension building or animosity it's like i pick up the phone and i call that person because it's like you're right like when someone hears your voice and they're like oh i'm not talking to a screen a random like bot they like are suddenly a lot more and vice versa like i'm a lot more calm when i'm able to just like talk to a human but i think it's scary though i think increasingly we don't want to actually talk to another person right like i think it's so much easier to hide behind our screens yeah of course and we're kind of saying the same thing which is I think that, like, for for me, I feel like so many people will, like, comment on something I say, and then if I went to their feed, um, they didn't say anything about the thing. Like, it's like, they're existing to take down what I'm saying, and I'm just, I'm advocating for using it a different way, which is like, oh, this Uh is, like, straight up, like, a news um, information and, like cultural awareness input device (laughs) like i don't really use it as like a this is a um like time to teach and i feel like i feel like if we could get there maybe we would i mean i don't know it's very hard to tell people like no use don't use this to teach me uh interpersonally use this to teach everyone (laughs) globally like i feel like if we could just get there we i would be so fucking stoked um because it, it would be like harnessable energy for change as opposed to like um i don't know spitting on each other which is sometimes what it feels like but but um i want to the the other thing that i feel like last year and correct me if i'm wrong um after even this page is white you were touring that in the states yeah you were like doing readings of it yeah and I, i i'm very curious as to and we have like not too much time left so <laughs> this is like a l- luckily i left like a pretty not loaded topic for the end because i was just like honestly i just want like one sentence get in and get out um but i'm very curious as to what it was like touring the country with a book even just with that title in the last year when white supremacy has been like 
the front page news story for our entire country? I mean, I was very strategic about how I went about it. So I toured with another white person. (laughs) And, you know, I think that that was really useful and a white masculine person too. So I think that, um, you know, the nature of white people's ability to white people, white people's uh, ability to be receptive to information somehow dramatically changes as soon as there's another white person, you know, who's part of that conversation. So I think in some ways, like having my tour maybe a white um, man made the information a lot more, um, yeah, palpable. Um, I hey, can I just cut in for one second? I just want sure. I just want like listeners who are white <laughs> to really take a minute <laughs> with what you just said because I think you are totally right. Um, of course, you're right because it's your experience. But also, like I have found that in the last year, um, you know, my goal is to be a white person who's talking about white people, like using even the phrase like white people on Twitter, which just that phrase like makes people so mad. Um, but I just think that we have a recipe. You just gave you just gave white people a key. Right there. That was a key. You just said the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, it actually has to be us that breaks down the system. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, it's it's hard. It's complicated because I do think if I was doing that on my own, it would have been maybe not <laughs> as positive as a uh, positive experience as it was. But for the most part, honestly, it went pretty well um, because I think, like I said, you know, I had a, a lovely white male shield. <laughs> um, so be the shield. Yeah. Right? Like Yeah. yeah. Be the shield. <laughs> that would be the that would be the takeaway. I'm I mean I'm But also like but also can you just listen to brown and black and indig- indigenous people? Like I think that that's like listen, I love my tour mate. It's not about my tour mate, but it's also like sometimes I'm just like you know, one of the questions I've gotten asked so much since the Trump election here in Canada is like, what do you think the artist's responsibility is now? And the thing I keep saying is like, well, I've been saying this shit for years. And so have like, you know, brown and black and indigenous people and artists have been talking about racism and white supremacy for years and years and years long before me. But now suddenly it's like, what is the responsibility of the artist? And I'm like, it's not my responsibility. I think that white people have a responsibility to be talking about this, A, but B... Like, I think white audiences have a responsibility to listen to us, you know, like, because we wouldn't have to be saying the same thing over and over again if people actually listen to us. I wouldn't need a white shield, you know, if people would just listen to me um, and not be like, really? You know, racism? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, be, be the shield, but also just, can you please just listen? <laughs> That's amazing. I really could, th- and I'm going to say, this year could could be the the death of really and i'd be okay with that this is like a good year for that uh to die right um because why would anybody be saying something that they didn't 100 percent stand behind and i think if you know if you looked at our if if you looked at that the news cycle that's happening in the states that literally applies to like every everything story that has come out and you know is just that um like give up on really I think if if we just gave up on really with a question mark, um, we we would be moving in a, a much better direction, and uh, and so thanks thanks for saying what you said. You're exactly right. Yes, 
Listen. Yeah, listen to black and brown people. <laughs> Be a white shield that then gets out of the way. Like you just shield at the very beginning yeah. and then you get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> and then you hold the mic. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for hopping on the phone with me and for your time. Um, oh my god, my pleasure. This is really nice and like I feel selfishly like it was a nice way to get to know you because you know, I don't know you that well. I know. Same. That. Yeah, same. I feel the same way. And also, um, if <laughs> I also feel like, I mean, you and I, I think we have a lot in common because now I'm like in my head going, was I just a white person who summarized a brown person telling? Anyway, so now it's like amazing. <laughs> Everything's amazing, and um, we can just continue the conversation. How about that? No, that's your job as a host. Your your job as a host. <laughs> Thank you. Regardless of color. <laughs> is to summarize. <laughs> Good, okay. I did host summarizing. Uh, yeah. Vivek, before I let you uh, go live the rest of your evening, I just want to ask you to uh, shout out a queero. And so that's just, you know, somebody or it could be a place or a thing that gave you the strength and, and uh, understanding to, to be the rad person you are today. Um, I mean, maybe to bring it back full circle, honestly, like my biggest, uh, queer role model, role model. I know that Americans and Canadians have accents, and I'm not doing anything to disprove that. Apparently, <laughs> role models uh, <laughs> are Tegan and Sarah. Like honestly, you know, um, we're from the same province, and just watching them sort of unabashedly be who they are and find ways to integrate their their politic and their queerness into their their art. Um, whether directly into their art or but sort of al- alongside their art, um, I really don't think that I would have come into being the kind of artist that I am um, had it not been had it not been for Tegan and Sarah. And I mean, that's on levels. Like aside from the fact that they've been so supportive of me specifically, I'm just incredibly inspired every day. And I mean, they continue like you know with their foundation, the Tegan and Sarah Foundation you know, I was saying to to both of them, like, they don't need to do this work. Like, I feel like they've given the queer communities, queer communities so much already that, like, you know, they don't actually need to be doing things like the foundation. And, you know, I'm I'm just so moved by their sort of persistence to use their platform and their voices to um, be doing really, really important work. So, yeah, I love them. I love them, too. As for the in the same way as uh, I don't know how does one even get out of bed in the morning all the time? Uh, you have to have humans that are also getting out of bed, right? I love them too for the same reason. Yeah, they definitely keep me going. And this was such a great chat. Thank you for hopping on the phone, and I can't wait to hear more of your beautiful voice in the future as I further acquaint myself with your work. But thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. (laughs) Take care. You too. Let's go find out who we are. Who we are. Well, listeners, that's our show. Please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at Cameron Esposito. We are recorded by Matt Brousseau, produced by Sierra Catow, and Feral Audio. Our theme song is by AW, and you can find them at listentoaw.com. Thanks for listening to Query. 
Radio.